Your website is the front door of your business, but the way teams build and optimize is broken. Stuck between inflexible templates and cumbersome codependent solutions, there's a better, faster way. Enter Webflow, a visual-first platform that empowers you to create freely. Now you can ship web pages in weeks instead of months and save millions in development costs. These are the real results for companies like Orange Theory, Dropbox, and IDEO. Get started today at webflow.com. Webflow, more than a website builder. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to CMO Moves. Today, I'm talking with Tony Rogers, who is the CMO of Walmart US. Hi, Tony. Welcome to the show. Hi, Nadine. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You know, Tony, we've had a a lot of fun discussions and I wanted to just kick this off by asking you a little bit about your current role and why you decided to take that on. Yeah. You know, I have been at Walmart now for a little over 12 years and I've really grown up here through the marketing department. And uh, about Four years ago, I took a job to be the CMO over in Walmart, China. Got a chance to do that for a couple years. And I'd actually just signed up for a third year over there. My family and I were really loving it over there in China. But my predecessor in this job and really my mentor is uh, in my career is a guy named Stephen Quinn. And he let me know that he was going to be retiring. And so I actually came home early from China to to try to fill his shoes in this job. Wow. Those are big shoes to fill. I know Steven and he leaves his own legend. Um, But uh, so glad that he reached out to you and you're able to now take the reins, if you will. You know, when you first started in your career, did you actually think you'd be a CMO? Was it something you aspired to be? It's a funny question because the answer is no. When I first graduated from college, I actually had an accounting degree. And I worked for the first five years of my career as a CPA. And uh, I spent most of that time as an auditor for one of the big accounting firms. And I realized as I was auditing all these companies, that I really was interested in what their marketing people were doing. And I could audit their payroll and I could see that the marketing guys got paid just as much as everybody else, but they really seemed to like their job. <laughs> and, uh, and so I actually went back to school to rebrand myself as a marketer. And that's kind of how I got here. Kind of an unlikely course. Wow. That is an unlikely course. So how long did it take you to shift gears like that? It's funny. I remember being back at the place I was working right, right before I went back to school and it's just funny how people want to, they want to put you in a, in a, per, in a certain place in their brain. You know, if you're a finance or accounting person, they, they want to, they want you to be a finance or accounting person and they, it's hard for them to even think of you in a different place. But that for me, that was the beauty of going back to school because you just sort of get a do over. And it's funny, I go, I went to grad school and I found myself with a whole bunch of people that were just like me 
accountants and engineers and, and people who had gone a certain direction and created a good foundation for their career, but wanted to do something else. You know, my dad always told me, figure out what it is that you like to do and then figure out how to get paid to do it. And it took me a while to do that, but I think I finally did it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's been so much press recently about how challenging the role is. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of negative press about uh, the the role of the CMO. Uh, but it it is and has to be the most complicated role in the C-suite. Do you still feel good about making that move into the CMO role? And what do you think about the role of CMO and where it's going? It's true what you say. There's a lot of, there's a lot of being written about how people in this role of CMO have an opportunity to, to step it up. And I, I really completely understand what that narrative is because I feel like I've really lived it. And, you know, if I think about my progression, really not just in the two years in this role, but in the last four years being a CMO, the, 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 the progression has been kind of like, First, mastering the functional elements of the job, which hopefully by the time you reach the level of CMO, you're pretty good at marketing, you know, <laughs> otherwise, <Yeah. laughs> otherwise maybe there's a problem with your selection process. But, um, and so that, that's kind of the easiest part is to, is to do good marketing. I'm not to say that that's an easy thing to do, but of, of all the things that I have to deal with on a daily basis, the functional marketing stuff is the most fun to me and comes the easiest. I think that the second phase of this for me really started when I was in China and it was becoming more of a cross-functional leader, becoming more a a full-fledged member of the CEO's leadership team. And, and I, it was really a great experience and I highly recommend this to anybody who has a chance. If you're working in a large company to go to a smaller part of your company, whether it's a different division or a different country, because you get a chance to be on a smaller leadership team and you find yourself involved in a lot of things that have nothing to do with marketing. So when I was in China, I was able to work on real estate issues and legal issues, HR issues and merchandising and, you know, everything that we do. And I think that set me well, set me up well to come back here and so I think that was the second piece where if you've nailed the, fu- the fundamental marketing skills, you figured out that you've got to be a cross-functional leader and not just a marketer. And then for me, I think the third thing that's really been the learning curve for me here and maybe the most enjoyable is to really become a true advocate for the customer inside my company. And so I find myself now doing that more than anything else that I do. And it's, um, it's a, it's a grueling thing because you're always on your, your, you have to be engaged in every discussion, every conversation, because everything has something to do with the customer. And, but it's amazing that if you if you'll just start your day and just go about the course of your day looking at every single thing through that lens it's amazing how many different things you can impact and course correct and bring new ideas to and new thinking to and so that's really been my journey and i think when you read these articles about the role of cmo i really do think they're talking about 
move beyond that functional area where you feel safe in and that you're good at and be a cross-functional leader and be an advocate for the customer. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thanks for, for laying that out so clearly. I think those are three really good steps anyone uh, can aspire to take. Would you say there is even yet another step uh, here, which is understanding your employee base and helping to set true north for the purpose of the company? Yeah, that's, um, that's such a great point. You know, about 10 years ago, we rebranded this company and we, we used to, we used to have a uh, mantra that was um, uh, always low prices, always. That was our logo. That was our tagline. And we had a, a different logo. And back then, this was, this was 2006, 2007. It was actually similar to now where the economy was, go- was going quite well. The, the term mass affluence was something that everybody was talking about back then. And we were trying to reposition this company so that we could be positioned for growth in the future with a, with a um, economy that was very robust and a consumer that was in really good shape. And, um, and so we, you know, the, the look and feel of the brand that we have now is something that we created back then. We moved our tagline from always low, always low prices, always to uh, save money, live better because we wanted to add more of an emotional component to the brand. And so all of that would have been fine as a, as a really, you know, I think it's a really solid rebranding project, repositioning project. But there was one other thing that we did in that project that I think will outlast all the other things that we did and, and probably outlast all of us. And that is we changed the mission statement. We changed the purpose of our company. And I got to give credit here to the other mentor in my career who is a guy named Roy Spence down at GSDNM in Austin, Texas. And Roy is the person that taught me the power of purpose. And, and the idea is just that people who are bought in to a mission at, uh, at a deep emotional level in their soul will just deliver on a different level than people who are just mercenaries and they're there just to collect a paycheck. And, and so we said about this business of re of rediscovering our purpose. We found an amazing videotape of our founder, Sam Walton, receiving the presidential medal of freedom from George Bush. And in, and it's the highest civilian award you can win. You can be receiving this country and in his, and by the way, this is Sam Walton in his last year of his life, he was suffering from cancer and this was really his last public appearance. And in this speech, he said, if we work together, we'll give the world an opportunity to see what it's like to save and have a better life. And boy, when we found that tape, we found those words, we realized that our work was done. You didn't need a bunch of MBAs to come in here and figure out the purpose. You, you had already had it articulated by Sam Walton. And that really is something that we have spent the last decade trying to insert every place we can in this company. And, and like I said, that probably lasts longer than any kind of a rebranding or repositioning project. Wow. Okay. So I have goosebumps. That was (laughs) such a powerful story. Amazing. So thanks for sharing that. So when you were progressing through your career, you were at, at different companies along the way. Can you talk a little bit about your journey and the key learnings that you got from each point? 
Yeah, it's interesting. You, you probably are the same way, but as I reflect back on the places I've worked, each place has taught me something. Each place has added a different dimension to who I am now. And at first I think about my accounting background. I, I became an accountant because my dad was an accountant and it was a very practical choice back in college. And, and the years that I spent in accounting and finance really created a, I think a solid analytical foundation for me. You know, a lot of marketers lack that. And, and I actually think that the marketers that I enjoy working with the most are people that kind of have a balance of the right brain and the left brain. And, and so I, I really credit that part of my career with helping me to, to learn my way around a financial statement or an Excel spreadsheet, which pays dividends to this day. Uh, the time that I spent in grad school what, and I went to the University of Texas, both for undergraduate and grad school. And the, the time I spent there really taught me that it was okay to balance that analytical side with a more creative side. And that, that that's another part of, of business. And, um, and so that's, I, I was able to spend the two years in grad school rebranding myself as, as somebody who was a marketing person spent my early career in marketing in the consumer packaged goods business, both at Pillsbury, which is now General Mills, and at Frito-Lay, which is part of PepsiCo. And, you know, that those are the places where I really learned those fundamental marketing skills. You know, it's, um, you go to a CPG company, it's kind of like getting a PhD in marketing. And, and, and I credit those places with doing that for me. And then I really think Walmart if, if I had to just pick one word that I've picked up from Walmart, it's really more around leadership. Walmart is such a huge place. It's a, you know, it's a company where if it was a country, it would be like the 20th largest country in terms of GDP. And, and everything we do here is so big. And so you just, you can't survive here unless you learn how to lead others and lead cross-functionally. And so I just feel like the time that I've spent at Walmart has really been a, a, a lesson in leadership. That's fantastic, Tony. And um, such an important skill to develop over time. And, and when you say Walmart's big, I mean, we're talking what, 2.3 million employees, something like that. Yeah. Worldwide. It's, it's a huge number. Wow. So how, did you develop those leadership skills? Obviously, you went through the process of gaining the experience by doing, but was there anything else you could point to that really helped you in developing those skills? I, I think so, yes. Granted, probably like most places, most of it is trial by fire. It's learning on the job, and it's emulating others that you have around you. And, and so part of it's cultural, but, I, but I also, I do really think that, and I recommend this to any leaders that I work with and particularly folks that, that I'm growing that work for me, I think you need to complement the day-to-day stimulus, the stimuli that you've got in your own company with some external stimuli. And for me, I've got a couple places I go for that. So first is I am on the board of the ANA Association of National Advertisers, and, and I tell you what, if if you're like me, you get invitations 
constantly to join this board, you know, this committee or that committee or this conference or that conference. And you have to say no to the vast majority of them because you don't have the time. But I'll tell you what, the ANA has been just a fantastic way to spend my time and get exposure to other CMOs and in other industries and see the problems they're facing and how they're tackling them and see their leadership styles. And so I really have gotten a lot of value out of that. And then I think also uh, I work a lot with our suppliers, whether they are advertising suppliers and people we work with like Facebook uh, or whether they are the CPG suppliers that, that we're used to having like Coke or Pepsi. And I, I just, I like to surround myself with smart people with different points of view uh, because I feel like the more I expose myself to, I, I can take the best from each one and, uh, you know, I kind of win. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I can't wait for Nick Promola to hear this uh, podcast. He's going to have a big smile on his face. <laughs> You're doing a good job, Nick. <laughs> yeah, right on, Nick. Uh, so, um, but I agree. You know, on on both both sides. You know, I had the the pleasure of working with you and and a lot of folks uh, who are committed to being part of the ANA to help solve some of the industry challenges, and it it was a wonderful experience. Um, and I see a lot of amazing friendships being developed through that that organization as well. Um, so what part of being a CMO do you love the most? Well, you know, I, we've talked about the functional piece. We've talked about the uh, cross-functional piece and then, and then the advocacy for the customer. Um, I do, there, there are two things that I really enjoy the most. The first is I really just love and cherish the process of making advertising, of taking an insight and going and finding that insight, turning that into a strategy, briefing a bunch of really smart and talented creatives, and then evaluating the work that they bring back until you get to this place where um, this thing exists that brings the original thought to life that you could never have thought of but that just does it so beautifully. And to me, that just that blend of art and science, that's why I changed from being an accounting guy to, to getting into marketing. And I just, you know, I just absolutely love that. So, you know, when you say find something you love to do and get paid for, for doing it, that's essentially what I decided to go do. And I love it. Oh, that's awesome. And when you think about what you just said, like the, the blend of art and science, and you think about your teams and how you, recruit for your teams or what kind of skill sets you're looking for? How have you approached that dynamic? I think that when I, when I look at how we bring people into this company and how we recruit into this marketing department, it's really changed over the years because I grew up in a CPG model. We tended to go to a handful of business schools that we thought were a good fit with our company culturally and then we just would hammer those, those schools year in and year out to drive our talent pipeline. So it was, it, was, it was a pretty narrow and a pretty deep model. I think over the years that's really changed and our model has shifted because we're looking for more diversity, more diversity of skill sets, more diversity of backgrounds, more ethnic diversity, more diversity of thought. And so we really – 
go to a number of different places now to get talent. We do go to business schools still, but we go undergrad and grad. We go to suppliers, we go to agencies, and we go to other retailers. And we really f- have found that it takes a, a true mix to, to build the right chemistry in the team. And, and part of that is because you're now advertising to a very diverse customer base. There's a Walmart within 10 minutes of 90% of the U.S. population. And so our message has to be very diverse. And so our team has to be very diverse. So, you know, Tony, you've said before that it's really all about building trust and relationships. How do you do that with your team and, and helping your team develop that within themselves? Well, I like that you asked that question because I really, I tell people I tend to manage through the lens of relationships. And I think for me, you know, we all take these personality tests and, and, and uh, try to figure out kind of how we're wired. <clears throat> and what I have decided over the years is just that I am, I am the, I, I find the relationships to be the most interesting part of life, uh, of work, of life. And so for me, I'm not interested in doing a job if, if I don't meet that relationship need. And so I tend to surround myself with people first on my team where I get to handpick them. I surround myself with people who I trust, who I like, who I enjoy spending 70 hours a week with and who are really, really good at what they do. And boy, it is hard to find all of those in the same person. But when you do, you've got to, you've got to place a bet there and you've got to, you've got to build a situation where they never want to leave. And so I, I try to do that. And I've got people on my team that I've worked with for a long, long time and people that where we've gone together from one company to the next. And that's probably for me, that's the most special part of my career. And I know when I look back that that will be the thing that I treasure the most from my career, way more than any ad campaign that, that we've worked on. Um, and so that's, but that's easier to do inside your team because you choose those people. The, the challenge I think is to try and develop that level of trust and those kinds of relationships cross-functionally in your company and with your boss. And, um, and so that's, that part takes a little bit more work, but I, I find that I am by far the most productive when, when I'm surrounded by a team where those, those relationship needs are being met. Right. Well, and let's talk a little bit about those cross functions for a second, because um, to your very good point, it takes a lot of effort to build the right relationships cross-functionally. And as a CMO with more GM responsibility these days, you have to work with just about everybody. Um, Who would you say you're working most closely with right now in your C-suite? Yeah. So, you know, part of my answer is going to be driven by the fact that I work for a retailer. And so the people that just naturally marketing is going to interface with the most in a retailer are going to be the merchants and the operators who the merchants who buy all the product and the operators who run all the stores and the website and everything that we do to sell product. So that's where I spend most of my time. I have a unique situation because I have two bosses. I report in directly to the CEO of Walmart us. And I also report directly into the CEO 
of walmart.com. And so that, that provides its own set of challenges, but also it really makes it fascinating and there's never a dull moment. <laughs> I'm sure there is not. So let's, let's talk about some not so dull moments. Let's talk about breaking some rules. Um, what rules have you broken that you were just like, yes, glad I did that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, it's funny. I think, um, I think about all the way back to the project that I was mentioning earlier, which was really my first project here, which was rebranding the company. So one thing that Walmart has is a really strong culture, a really strong um, way of doing things, a set of values that is uh, unshakable. And, and so that is, that's one of our great strengths. At the same time, you have to always be changing and evolving as a company and as a brand. And so I think my first challenge in this company, and maybe one of the biggest challenges of my career, was getting Walmart back in 2007, 2008, to think about itself differently and to think about how we present ourselves differently to the customer. And imagine a brand like Walmart with thousands of stores around the country and you want to change their logo, a logo that's literally attached to the building of 4,000 stores. Uh, you know, obviously that's a project that you don't take lightly and it's, it's, it's one where you're going to meet a lot of resistance. And then even the tagline, which was um, always low prices, always to try and suggest that, Hey, maybe there's a, a better way to talk about the brand that might resonate better with customers. You know, you are, uh, you are treading on sacred ground there. And so that, that was a project that took really probably two years from start to finish because it just had to be socialized to such a huge degree. But that's, that's one of the ones I'm really glad that we did. Yeah. That major effort for sure. So Tony, we are just about out of time today, which is, which is sad. I would love to keep chatting with you. Um, but before I ask you my last question, I want to just open it up to you. Is there anything that you would like to offer up as a tip for anybody who's aspiring to be a CMO as to what they should focus on? Yeah. If, if I was, if one of my kids wants to be a CMO, what I would tell them is that you should first start and do whatever's necessary to get a really, really strong foundation in business and marketing. So go someplace where the people that you're going to spend the first five or 10 years of your career working for that you believe that they're some of the best on the planet at giving you the skills uh, and the know-how necessary to just be good at what you do. You know, it's the old thing of, Hey, whatever you decide to do, just be really good at it. And um, you know, I, I, I used to think that that you had to go to a CPG company to do that as a marketer. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think there's, there are, there are really good marketers in just about every industry and I think it's more about finding people that you want to identify with and people that you think you can, that can teach you more than it is finding a certain industry or, or a certain company. Um, but then after that, I would say go to a place where you can really make a difference. So if you've developed this skill in communication and you, you've gotten good at it, go to a place where that skill is valued and where you think if I go there and really do it well, 
I can really make a difference in the trajectory of that company or that brand. Because ultimately, I think people want very simply, they want to do meaningful work and they want to be appreciated for that work. Oh, absolutely. Well said. And my last question for you, if you could be anything in the world other than a CMO, what would you be? (laughs) That one's easy, easy for me. If I was not a CMO, I would be a commercial airline pilot. Oh, okay. Uh, My, uh, my hobby and my passion outside of work is aviation. I have a tiny little airplane that I fly around and, um, that's what I love to do when I'm, when I'm not in the office. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Well, the next time you buzz over San Francisco, just wave down at me and uh, <laughs> I'll look forward to looking up and seeing you in the skies. Right on. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Tony. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks, Nadine. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, likewise. Have a good one. All right. See you soon. Thanks. Bye-bye.